Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I'm really pleased to be here with you on another episode of the SG Engage podcast. As you know, I have the honor and pleasure of leading corporate social responsibility at BlackBod. And through this podcast, we gather interesting people who are focused on topics that we think are really important throughout the social good community and beyond. And today I have Sarah Judd Welch, who is the CEO of Sharehold, joining me on the show. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. So you and I met through a group called Nation Swell, which yes. is kind of hard to describe, but it's like this community of people who are interested in social impact and other issues and beyond. And we gather for interesting conversations. And you and I met in one of those. And you mentioned that your um, firm was doing something interesting. And before we get to the project you mentioned, can you tell us what Sharehold is? Sure. Sharehold is an innovation consultancy, and we foster and design belonging with communities and teams. Okay. That might sound a little bit strange, but in practice, our work is driven by identifying the needs and motivations of key stakeholders through research and designing and prototyping solutions that meet those needs. A lot of our work is making people feel seen, heard, and valued, and then driving consensus for solutions. And we primarily do that through the design thinking methodology. Okay. So you just said a couple of words that are hugely important to me, (laughs) the the seen, heard, and valued. So, you know, corporate social responsibility, which means so many different things, but in a mid-sized business like BlackBot, it's, it's so much about community. It's about community inside the company, helping our people be agents of good. It's about how we engage as a company outside. It's about our markets. It's about everything. And I often talk about um, our employees, you know, walking in the door, literally or virtually, bringing their whole selves, wanting voice and choice, Mm. wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen. So that's the lens that I took when I heard that you were doing a study on belonging, which is what I want to talk about today. But, But to be clear, this isn't just something that's interesting for people like me who work in a corporate setting, right? It's really about any organization. I would agree. This work is, this specific study did focus on belonging at work, though um, the findings are applicable to anybody who is building any kind of community, whether that's in or outside the office. And you do have people who participated in it, for example, who work at nonprofits. So it's not just corporate work. It's exactly lots of mm-hmm. different people. Okay, cool. All right. So the study that you did, I think, is called Redesigning Belonging, How Uncertainty Magnifies Belonging at Work. Did I get that right? <laughs> Redesigning Belonging, How Uncertainty Magnifies Belonging at Work. Okay, got it. All right. So tell us, first of all, why did you do this? And then I want to get into what did it tell you? Yeah. So this research was it was born from two two different experiences, all related to our client work. And we've worked with all different kinds of organizations, ranging from like really big ones like Google and Anheuser-Busch, universities, as well as nonprofits like DoSomething.org and foundations like the Skoll Foundation. But we saw some common themes across all of our projects. And we saw that the key to community transformation was organizational transformation. You cannot 
transform or make major change within your community without first examining and making change within yourself. And of course, like that layers up with all different kinds of change from the community, organizational, and then to the personal. And it really was about expanding their value set to be more people-centric and create opportunities for their team to belong and fully step into the experience of being in community with each other and using that as the impetus to create other kinds of external change. And there was one project in particular that this project wasn't, that this research was inspired by. We were working with a co-working space in 2018 that was rapidly expanding. And we are looking to um, increase the sense of intimacy and belonging within this community as they scaled. So this was a, a consumer customer facing community that we are looking at. And so we started digging into, okay, like, how do we know whether or not this is working? Is this effective? And so we started to look into measuring belonging and we found some really fantastic examples of different companies and researchers who are looking into how to measure belonging at work. And because of this organizational change that we are also seeing in this pattern, we quickly refocused to belonging at work. So that was the genesis of this project. Of course, it turned out very differently than we anticipated. COVID-19 had major impact on our plans to do this study. We initially were going to launch a research project on how to create a benchmark for belonging across different companies. And that project was set to begin in April of 2020. And we all know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything <laughs> flew by the wayside. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. Everything, everything, well, everything's different and then, and some things aren't, but, but what you've said so far, I know when you and I first met, I was sharing this perspective that a number of years ago, I had done a TEDx talk and I said this, of course, TEDx talks are supposed to have like controversial titles. So I said the era of corporate <laughs> social responsibility is over or is dying and why that's a good thing. And the premise was that focusing too much on the word corporate and what corporate can mean to people, which can often kind of sound very hollow and, and not full of mm. people, that we should be focusing on the needs of the human and, and the people who are yes. in that community. and. And just that shift was remember you're made up of people and particularly that idea that people are bringing more of themselves to work. And now that we're working more virtually, everybody in my company is working virtually right now, um, and many will stay that way. It, we need to be really mindful about that. So you launched this Absolutely. research and I don't know what you want to dig into first. There is so much to unpack in the study. I've actually read your summary and I need to go back and read it again. I know you, you identified four types of belonging. But do you want to start, hit the high notes of the headlines of what you found? Up to you. Sure. Well, I think it's important to first like lay, like let's lay like the land here. Like why is belonging at work important? From my perspective and based on research, belonging is one of the greatest opportunities of our time. You know, it's, we all know, we've all seen it on the media. We're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. And the impact of the loneliness epidemic on business is quite significant. It's staggering. Voluntary turnover costs the U.S. about $1 trillion a year. And lonely workers are twice as likely to leave their jobs as non-lonely workers. And that can cost an individual company of like, say, 100 people about $2.6 million per year. So it has a significant both personal mental health impact, but also a significant business impact as well. And loneliness is an outcome, a direct outcome of a lack of belonging. So the lack of being seen, valued, and accepted for who you are and ident being identified within a group's needs. And this is significantly compounded at work. 
In fact, I think there's there's a stat out there that um, 61% of all workers feel the need to cover or downplay aspects of their identity at work. And these are aspects of their identity that differ from the mainstream. And of that 61%, 50% report having a decreased commitment to their organization. And it also has a significant impact on their job performance. Meanwhile, we also know that workplaces with inclusive cultures also correlate with belonging are six times more likely to innovate in weather market change. So So this doesn't just have to do with what's happening at the company, although that's really important. This also starts, like there's this really interesting stat in your summary about how the number of people with close friends is actually up, without close friends, is up three times since the early 2000s. So we already have this. Yeah, it's like, so we already have this landscape where people are more alone anyway before they're mm-hmm. coming into the workforce. Yeah, they're more alone than ever. And we heard in our research um, th- from many people, but particularly from one of our research participants, Casper Terkyle, who is the co-founder of a really amazing agency called the Sacred Design Lab and wrote the book, The Power of Ritual. Casper has this background in secularization and the rise of, or like the decline of religion within the United States. And there is this pattern of declining religion, declining social and civic institutions, and the rise of our identity and identification with work. And so employers have become the primary provider. And I would say employers are now the primary provider of social organizing entity within the United States. So we go to work expecting to find meaning. And this is only more true when it comes to... um younger generations as well. Like Gen Z is increasingly seeking meaning and identity and community from work, but this isn't exclusive to younger generations. This is across the board for all Americans. And I do want to say what we're talking about here in this research is very specific to American work culture. This is not true in European work culture and other countries. This is a very specific American phenomenon. I think it's interesting that you mentioned generations. So I'm a Gen Xer and many people (laughs) do give a lot of credit to the millennial generation. It's a very big generation and now we have the generation following it and they make up far more than half of our workforce already. Right. Um, But I began seeing people behaving differently and seeking something different really after 9-11 and people Mm. who were my age and older are, are honestly kind of seeking the same things, but I think it took us longer to realize that, that it was okay to ask for that. So Ooh, can you say, what do you mean by ask more for that? Well, that, you know, I, you know, I, I like to say that I graduated in the Gordon Gecko Breed is good era where, you know, <laughs> if you know the movie Wall Street and Michael Douglas, I do know that you'll, movie. you'll know the reference. I'd say it to some people. Yes. And I don't know what I'm talking about. So in the 1980s, I, um, you know, graduated and the idea when you came out of college then was if you wanted to make money, you went into business. If you wanted to, to uh-huh. do good work, you went to work for a nonprofit or you got an MPA, you went to work for government or something like that. Two very divergent paths. And now, mm-hmm. you know, I have a 20 year old and a 22 year old and I have a son who's about to go off and start an AmeriCorps role and another son who's studying business and sustainability, you know, like, the, the options are so much more varied. We've, we've gotten to this point now where we, we can take the idea of having social good in our heart or our, our goals and realize that in a lot of different ways. So the world has shifted. That is bit. absolutely true. Yeah. So you identified four different types of belonging. Do you want to tell us mm-hmm. what they are, how they're connected? Yes, absolutely. So the core finding of our research, we were looking into how does 
this time of uncertainty impact one's sense of belonging at work? As I mentioned earlier, um, we were looking to initially create a benchmark of belonging across wide, a wide range of companies. And then COVID happened and we realized that that study was no longer possible. So we shifted focus and we were like, okay, like what is the urgent question that we could answer right now with our research? And it was this question, how does the time of uncertainty impact one's sense of belonging at work? And the answer to that question was that uncertainty magnifies whatever you're experiencing about belonging, whether that was a positive experience or a negative experience, you're now experiencing that to a larger extent. And that finding that whatever we were experiencing prior to COVID-19 that is now more amplified, stronger, more magnified, it revealed four different types of belonging. And this was not something that we were looking for in our research. It was really um, something that was revealed to us as we asked people to describe their experiences of belonging. And they typically talked about it across four different dimensions. And these four types of belonging, they're interdependent. And regardless of whether employers are taking accountability for it, they're always present within our work environments. And the four types of belonging is this. There's foundational belonging, self-belonging, group belonging, and societal belonging. So foundational belonging is the recognition that each of us, we have an undeniable value by the mere fact of existing and that we have a shared humanity. This became very clear with COVID-19 as we all shifted to sheltering in place and working from homes. And suddenly we had direct windows into everyone's uh, personal lives. You know, um, just now earlier in this recording, like you heard my doorbell uh, earlier in our call, Rachel, my cat was meowing. Uh, you mentioned that you have a dog at home. Many people are like breastfeeding their children during work meetings. This is the recognition that we are people and we have lives and needs that are beyond our workspace. And at work, foundational belonging is that we recognize the shared humanity of every team member, both within and beyond work. And this ties into working parents, mental health, recognizing that we have bodily needs, that like we need rest and care and, and so on. And this is also correlated with every other type of belonging. So self-belonging is the experience of belonging to and feeling connected to ourselves. It's the internalization and the self-recognition of their inherent value as a person. And also like knowing how you as an individual uniquely contribute to a specific group and fit in within your work and what you contribute to your teams. And at work, this means that you know how your role contributes to the team's goals and values of your contributions, whether or not this is recognized by others. This is highly correlated with your own self-esteem, your recognition of your value, being connected to yourself. And I would say it's also highly correlated with things like having time off, having a clear way to contribute and like knowing how your work plays into the larger picture of your team. Mm -hmm. And then group belonging... This is the type of belonging that we typically talk about when we talk about belonging at work. Usually when we talk about belonging within a community, we're talking about group belonging. And that is specifically the experience of feeling valued and fitting in within the group, team, organization, or the larger community. It's highly correlated with being in community with other people. So at work, this means that within the group, we feel seen, valued, and needed and accepted for who we are and how we contribute. This has to do with like psychological safety, participation, uh, recognition, affirmation by your team members that you're doing a great job. And then of course there's societal belonging, which is beyond work. And it's the idea that the way that we sit, that we fit in and belong within society influences how we show up at work within our group. And 
every other type of belonging. So this is the experience of the greater world affirming our value and acceptance. And it relates to how we fit in with and are accepted by within society and culture at large. And of course, I think there's some people who would say, okay, well, I'm an employer. Societal belonging is like beyond my purview and even like personal belonging beyond my purview. But what we found in our research is that no, every employer is responsible for all these types of belonging and they have immense power to shape these belonging experiences. And before I forget, I want to share that. And at the end of this, we, we are going to share where people can find out more. But you have a really mm-hmm. helpful little tool where individual people can do a self-assessment that I did for myself this morning and very oh, easy amazing. about how you rate yourself in these four types of belonging. Yeah. It kind of tells you if you're like out of whack at all and like, are you really mm-hmm. strong in one or not in another? And then it allows you to ask yourself, well, why might that be? So that's interesting. So you have said a couple of things about um, when we've talked before about how the research surprised you, you found things yes. that you didn't expect to find, but you also say really overtly in the report that, that not everybody is going to want to hear these findings because they might be <laughs> difficult for people to hear. So, so what do you mean yeah, by that? That's a great question. And I'm, I'm really glad you asked that so directly. I think when we were putting out this, this research there was definitely some nervousness because some of the findings were things that we didn't expect. And of course, like there's like the basic things we found that were unexpected. So for example, we thought that we would hear a lot about remote work and we found in our research that actually remote work did not have as significant of an impact on belonging as expected. But more importantly, and which was a larger surprise was just how intertwined belonging is with power in capitalism and white supremacy. What we heard in our research was that there is a, both an explicit as well as tacit power dynamics that show up in how we belong at work. You know, as I mentioned earlier, employers have increasingly been shaping our experience of belonging over the past century. And we've really come to work expecting to find this meaning and a sense of identity. However, we're also seeing a significant degradation of uh, workers' rights. We're working more hours than ever. We're earning less money. Our jobs are increasingly precarious. The economy is tanking. We're highly dependent on our employers for our jobs. So we're seeking both security as well as affirmation of who we are and how we belong within the same entity. And that's a really difficult position for an employee to be in when you're having to trade off this dynamic and trade off like your personal values and your sense of belonging for simply being able to put food on the table. And that dynamic came up time and time again in our research and our research participants. And we did use a design research process that was heavily interview driven in our research process. And our employee participants were able to directly name that capitalism and white supremacy were factors that shaped their belonging experiences. So for example, one of our research participants who we called Cameron, it was not their real name. They asked to be uh, attributed anonymously. They directly said that um, their organization's emphasis on generating revenue directly impacted their experience of belonging because they were prioritizing activities that would generate money over things that would um, allow them to more deeply connect with others. Um, In fact, I'm actually just going to read out this quote, if that was okay with you, Rachel. Yeah, go right ahead. Yep. Cameron said, uh, revenue and outcomes are the primary driving factors. That's just how the systems we work within is set up. Every hour of the workday is precious. Sometimes when things are seen as not completely necessary to get the immediate job done, they're not prioritized. However, those might also be the same things that create a sense of belonging. 
Examples might be holding larger brainstorm meetings for a project so that everyone's voice is heard or having meetings with people who aren't directly involved in a project, but who might offer a unique perspective on something. So there is this sense within, you know, capitalism, which is very efficiency driven. And that comes at a cost of connecting with others and creating time and space for connecting with others. Um, so there's like an inherent trade-off there. Yeah. And in the world of social responsibility and, you know, many other organizations that you and I might belong to, there's a lot of focus on um, short-termism and yeah. you know, really investing for the long-term and, and how do you balance the needs, uh, the, the financial and commercial needs, but also with this understanding that your people at the heart are, are at the heart of everything. Right. Um, and it, it's short-termism is I think is the right way to describe it because there's a significant business case for belonging. Like an organization of 10,000 people can save up to $52 million a year on investing in belonging just due to purely, um, a decline in voluntary turnover, a decline in absenteeism and a reduction in sick days and an increase in job performance. Like there's a significant impact. And like, not only that, but it also creates a space for people to bring forward their best ideas and to truly innovate and weather that market change together. But yeah, short-termism is really the name of the game right now within our existing system. So is there anything else in the study you want to lift up before I get to some questions around, well, what can we do to make sure that we're, we're thinking about this better in the workplace? <laughs> well, let's dive into it. All right. So what can we do? I think the number one thing that employers have to do right now is own it. Like take responsibility for the power that you have to shape belonging experiences. I've been hearing a, a lot of pushback recently about belonging. Like it's not measurable. It's not actionable the onus is entirely on the individual and the group can't take responsibility. Those are all myths. When, when I hear myths like that, I hear that a problem is hard and that you don't know how to solve it. And it's okay to not know how to solve it, but this is your responsibility as an employer. And it's something that is measurable. It is actionable and it is the responsibility and within the capabilities of the group to solve for. Um, so begin having the conversations of what does it mean to belong at our unique organization. So question here. Um, I haven't really heard the term belonging used in this context much until relatively recently. Belonging uh, although, at work. Or, yeah, just that, mm-hmm. that idea of belonging at work. That, it didn't have that yeah. headline to it. But when I looked at the questions in your self-assessment, some of them were very similar to the kinds of things that I've seen in my career in engagement surveys. So are there mm-hmm. other is there other terminology like if that people might be working on belonging but not thinking that that's what they're doing? How should yeah. we think about the practice? That's a really interesting question. Um, belonging is sort of a higher order state. And yes, it is highly correlated with employee engagement. It's also highly correlated with diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So we okay, learned so in our tell research. Us about that. Yeah. So we learned in our research that belonging is is um, like the outcome or the higher order state of a bunch of other things within an organization. Belonging is truly like the, it cannot exist without having a healthy group. And you cannot have a healthy group without these other factors, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. But also within that belonging bucket are things like benefits, mental health, team rituals, pay equity. Like there's so many different variables that go into the sense of belonging. And I think what's really valuable about this self-assessment that we've developed is it really helps you to see where across your team 
is your belonging falling short? And then based on where it's falling short, where are the areas that you can give most attention to further foster a sense of belonging? So whose role is this? I know I'm throwing all these different questions mm, at you. But, a good question. But I love who, that question. Who, <laughs> who owns this? Because, you know, obviously HR is always doing and people yes. organizations doing amazing things around yeah. benefits and, and uh, employee education and training yes. and all of that career pathing. But, but this is something that like everyone kind of weighs yeah. in on, right? I absolutely agree with that. Typically, you're going to see leading the charge on belonging efforts, you know, chief culture officers, head of HR, head of people, maybe with someone within your role, Rachel, like who's leading a CSR effort. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that belonging is not one person's job. It is absolutely everyone's job. Everyone contributes to creating a culture of belonging and everyone needs to be held accountable for it. But this is especially true within executive leaders. Several of our research participants called out that what's holding back their organization from creating a culture belonging is leadership at the top. They said things like, like the stat that you mentioned earlier about um, having friends at work. We had one research participant in particular who was talking with their executive team about um, how like the results of their employee engagement survey and how um, a low number of their employees had reported having friends at work. And the CEO of this organization said that that was not their problem. And I think this is um, something really important to keep in mind is that if we want to create a culture of belonging or even a, like taking a step back, a, a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion we need leaders to step up and take accountability for it. This needs to be a core part of our organizational mission and our practice and the way that we evaluate success. So as we get close to ending this conversation, we could go on for hours here. Um, do you have some practical insights about like what would be next if someone listened to this? Like what could someone do mm. um, to actually start you know, advancing this idea or maybe taking things within their organization that are already there and kind of fit into this and, and move them along. Absolutely. You know, our research was very clear that there isn't a uh, prescriptive set of check boxes that you can tick off to foster a sense of belonging. Several of the people, uh, several of our interviewees explicitly said like, this is deep work. That's going to look different from organization to organization. However, that being said, there are a few key themes. One is really getting clear on what belonging looks like for your team. Belonging is going to look slightly different from organization to organization, just like how your organizational values and your culture are different. Your sense of belonging is going to be different too. So make a space to get very clear with your team about what belonging looks like within your organization. And this is going to require really deep listening. Many organizations already do some sort of employee engagement survey, pulse checks to, um, you know, check in on how their employees are doing day to day, but you need to move beyond surveys and pulse checks and actually have direct conversations. And further, when you're listening, it's not just about, you know, hearing, but taking action on what you hear and doing it in a really meaningful way. In the full set of our insights uh, and in our workbook, we include a few different considerations. And one of them is this really interesting model, which I'm actually going to pull up so I can look at it. Um, it is a model that we pulled from... Um, it's a framework commonly used in urban planning that when we saw it, we thought that just really well fit within this situation. It's 
was developed by a woman named Sherry Arnstein, and she calls it the ladder of citizen participation. And it's this concept that like most civic organizations or civic organizing efforts, they're really focusing on listening and then pacifying or even manipulating the outcome. So like, okay, I heard you. That's nice. But it's very much of like a, like a superficial effort. And when you move up the ladder of citizen participation, you move towards deep engagement, co-designing, co-participation, and co-decision-making. And for anyone who's looking to take deep action on belonging, I really encourage you to consider what are our listening mechanisms that exist today? How do we take action on what we hear? And how might we go deeper and move towards deeper engagement within that listening process that really um, allows employees to be co-creators and decision makers within that belonging arena? It's so interesting that you said co-creators. I'm having a little flashback to my very early, very nascent thoughts from my TEDx talk was one of the very, the critique of the talk is I didn't get too specific, which was hard to do in eight minutes. But <laughs> but I talked a little bit about that idea of having the courage to co-create things with your people. Yes. And it just seems like that's become, that was four years ago. So it's become more and more important. Yes. So that's key to Sherhold's work. So we, um, I'm going to go check that out, by the way. So we've come to the end of our time, although we could just keep talking. And I want um, to know for our SG Engage podcast listening audience, um, where can people go to find that self-assessment that I was yep. referring to, to read the summary and just to, to learn more? Absolutely. So the best place to go is our website, sharehold.co backslash redesigning belonging. And on that page, you will find a few different versions of the insights that you can engage with uh, based on what fits best for you. And that does also include a free download, which includes a portion of our workbook, including the self-assessment tool. Well, Sarah, it has been a pleasure talking with you this morning. I think we need to keep having this conversation. And in particular, in this time of COVID and, you know, with unrest in the country and just so many things feeling like making us feel like we're standing on quicksand. It's like this is this is all unfolding around us. Yeah, that uncertainty. So uh, I want to thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. Thank you and for sharing me. your insights. Yeah, it was really great. I'm so glad that we met. And to our SG Engage podcast listening audience, I want to thank you for tuning in and encourage you to listen to our other episodes as they come out. So this is Rachel Hutchison signing off. Thanks so much. <laughs>